All right, well, good morning. Well, this will be fun this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, and I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to land there in just a few minutes. I kind of walk through that. If you don't own a Bible or you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat pocket in front of you, and we, we invite you to take that as our gift to you. Uh, you can follow also online. There's a place you can follow on our app, follow some notes as we'll be walking through some notes this morning. Um, but before we dive into this text, I want to kind of set a couple illustrations of what we're going to be talking about this morning and set the framework for you. And there's always been a very helpful illustration for me that I think might help you this morning. So in just a few months from now, there's going to be a group of us from Tri-Cities, about 30 or so, they're going to be traveling to the nation of Israel. We do that as a church every couple years or so. Maybe you can be a part of the trip in 2020. But in Israel, we'll see a ton of sites, but in the nation of Israel, there are there are two major bodies of water. Within the nation of Israel, there's two. There's the Sea of Galilee. And go ahead and put a picture of that. You've heard of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, you've heard it's a lot of the activity and the ministry of Jesus took place around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walked on the water of the Sea of Galilee. If you go there today, uh, like we're going to, the Sea of Galilee is still just a place of life. I mean, there's growth around the Sea of Galilee. It's full of fish, and it's just a place of health and life and vitality. And millions and millions and millions of gallons of water pour into the Sea of Galilee on a regular basis from the Jordan River. Now, it's interesting. If you go 60 miles to the south, there's another body of water. And go ahead and put a picture of that up called the Dead Sea. Now, it's interesting that there is a stark contrast between these two bodies of water. I mean, the picture doesn't even really do it justice, but the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea for a reason. Nothing lives there. It's the lowest point on earth. It's, it's like a half a mile below sea level. Its main tributary, just like the Sea of Galilee, is the Jordan River. And what's interesting, the same Jordan River floods the Dead Sea with millions and millions and millions of gallons of fresh water and minerals and nutrients flow into the Dead Sea, just like what flows into the Sea of Galilee. So you've got to look at that because it's a great metaphor for us to see what is the difference between one being a place of life and vitality, the Sea of Galilee, and the other, the Dead Sea, being a place where nothing grows and it's just a place of death. What is the difference between the two? Well, waters flow into both, resources flow into both, both are constantly supplied with resources, but the difference is that the Dead Sea has no outlet. In other words, the difference between these two bodies of water is both receive an ample amount of resources, but the Dead Sea, everything that flows into the Dead Sea, because of where it's situated geographically, it's below a sea level, nothing flows out of the Dead Sea. So everything, now watch this and you'll see the picture, everything that comes in stays right there. And it creates a place of death. Nothing grows, nothing lives. So for you and me this morning, this provides a vivid word picture for you and I when it comes to the area of stewardship and resources and finances and all the things that God floods our life with. Because all of us left to ourselves, and me included, 
our natural tendency is to live like the Dead Sea. Let me give you an illustration of this from Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11 kind of takes this Dead Sea illustration and puts it in biblical terms. It says there's two ways to live when it comes to money and resources and all that God floods into our lives. Proverbs says this, there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. Humanly, that doesn't make sense. In other words, there's one who takes what he has given, what she has given, and we entrust it, and we scatter it, and we share it, and we live generously with it. There's one who scatters, yet increases all the more. That's one way to live. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, thinking the more I hold on to, the more I keep for myself, the happier I'll be and the more I'll have. That's not the way it works in God's economy. There is one who withholds what is justly due and it results only in want. Only in want. The generous man or woman will be prosperous and he who waters or is a generous life to others will himself be watered. Isn't that great? So this is a graphic illustration. When we talk about this whole topic of giving and stewardship, there are, for the child of God, really two ways to live. We can live generously, one who waters, like the Sea of Galilee. What comes in, we give back out generously. Or, from a heart that just doesn't trust, we can live like this. <laughs> it's mine, I've earned it, I'm going to keep it right here. The Bible says that kind of life results only in a life of want. So let's talk about this through Scripture a little bit and take a look at the whole idea of stewardship and giving for the people of God. Uh, we're walking through our Church Defined series. We've talked about our principles that, that ground us. We're talking now about our practices, abide and gather. When we gather as God's people, one of the things we do is we give regularly. So the big truth that's going to kind of guide today and guide through what we're going to talk about is this. It'll be on the screen. So go ahead and put that up on the screen. The big truth is this, that God's people have always been characterized by faithful, generous, and sacrificial giving. So if you take your Bible and you begin all the way back in Genesis and you walk through the history of God's people, God's people, us have always been characterized by faithful, generous, and sacrificial giving. And we're going to take a look at that this morning. Uh, I've shared this before, and I'll just briefly share it again. I am, I am just incredibly grateful now, 23 years later, that when Jennifer and I were first married, Tri-Cities was our home church. This was our home for a couple years before God sent us out west, and then the things that we learned here in our time here have shaped us now in our marriage for 23 years. Again, I look out at some of the men who shaped our view of giving and our view of stewardship by taking God's word and teaching the principles of giving. And even when we were young and we were newlyweds and we didn't have a dime really, we had, as they say, hardly two pennies to put together. But early on, we learned if you will honor God first in the area of finances and resources, man, it's incredible what you see God do in your life. I want that for you. There's a principle we learned early on. I'm so thankful that when we didn't have a lot, we were both starting first jobs, early jobs. When we didn't have much to give, we learned to give. Because watch this. 
Because here's the myth, and a lot of you think this, and this is just not reality. Once I get everything in place, and once I have this steady income, and I have all these resources, then I'll learn to give generously. And let me assure you, it doesn't work that way. Proportionally, statistically, biblically, the more you gain and the more you have, proportionally, the less generous you'll be. So young students, college students, high school students, young marriage, you dig into God's word and you learn to honor God first in the area of finances and stewardship now that will carry over when God gives you a whole lot more later. Amen? So what are some early principles before we even get into 2 Corinthians? We'll get there in just a minute. There's a few things that we learned here at this church and continue to guide us in the area of stewardship and giving and finances. And these are not even going to be on the screen for you. You can just write these down. But just some general principles about money and possessions I think that will help you a ton. And number one is this. It's very important to remember God owns everything. You say, well, that's kind of... Maybe you remember that, maybe, but we forget that, that God is the owner of everything. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. God owns everything, therefore everything I have is a gift from God. Now if you could get that principle in your heart, Lord, impress that in my heart, it will change the way you look at your savings account. It will change the way you look at whatever God entrusts you with because you realize I am simply a steward of what God has entrusted to me. God owns everything. Everything I have is a gift. Therefore, I am a steward of what God has entrusted to me. 1 Corinthians, Paul said, it is required of stewards that we be found faithful. We don't use that word a lot today. What does the word steward mean? Here's what the word steward means for all of us. We simply manage what belongs to someone else. We manage it. Everything I have belongs to God. I manage it for His glory, for my good and good of others, yes. But it is incredibly important to remember, God, you own it all. You can just write this verse down, Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. It says this, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Verse 17 goes on and says, Otherwise you may say in your heart, My power and my strength have made, this, made me this wealth. Now there's this temptation as we grow more successful or more prosperous or we have more steady income or whatever it is in life, the temptation is to get really comfortable with that and even begin to subtly think that we earn that ourselves and it's all because of us and we lose sight that it's all a gift. Verse 18 says, but you shall remember the Lord your God for it is He, listen to this, it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth. All him. And then thirdly, learn this very early on, and we could preach a whole message about this. We're not going to, but just another principle is this. Money, wealth, resources, treasure, all of that can be a means for great good, great joy, great impact, or money, treasure, wealth can be a cruel master. I didn't say that, Jesus did. 
He said, Matthew 6, 24, he said, no one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Simply, Jesus, in a very clear way, says, you cannot serve God and money or wealth and possessions. You can have wealth and possessions and money. The Bible never speaks against money and wealth as evil in and of itself, but it can become a cruel master in our lives. And we can focus on the gift instead of the giver. So this area is just huge for us in every area of life. One third of everything Jesus said in the New Testament is connected back to money and possessions and wealth and stewardship in some way. It's a big deal. So what I want us to do this morning, our big idea, I want us to remember that God's people, we've always been characterized by faithful, generous, sacrificial giving. I want to try to help us this morning What does that look like? And then what are some wise practices for all of us in the area of giving this morning from the Word of God? So look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read about five verses here. And then we're going to jump over to chapter 9. And we're going to put some things into practice from what the Apostle Paul teaches a group of believers. Now, as we read 2 Corinthians 8, here's the context. The letter is called 1 Corinthians Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a local church, the church at Corinth. In his letter, he's using an example of other churches, the churches of Macedonia, as he refers to them. That'd be Philippi and Thessalonica, these churches you've heard of. And he says, I'm going to write to Corinth, but I'm going to use an example of Thessalonica and Philippi and how they give to motivate and challenge and stimulate and encourage the Corinthians. So for us, we're going to look at the model of faithful giving from some churches to challenge us in the area of faithful stewardship this morning, okay? Verse 1, Paul writes, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Thessalonica, Philippi, like I mentioned. I'm going to give you an example. Churches of Macedonia. For... In a severe test of affliction, that was the situation, their abundance of joy. Now listen to this. This is striking language. Severe affliction, abundance of joy. Those two don't usually go together. But that's what was happening at the churches of Macedonia. It says their extreme poverty. So when you read about their giving here, don't assume that they were just this mega wealthy church because Paul says that was not the case at all. In fact, they were living in extreme poverty. So Paul takes a church that was living in extreme poverty as a model of generous giving. Wow. Giving has very little to do with our wallets and our pocketbooks. It has everything to do with our heart. That's the point. So he says, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Meaning they just gave and gave and gave. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means. As I testify, Paul says, and they gave beyond their means. They gave what they thought was possible. And out of great trust for God, they gave beyond what they thought was possible. Verse 4. It says, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now I want you to mark that. Every pastor loves that verse. Here's what that means. When Paul gave the churches of Macedonia opportunities to give to serve the saints in Jerusalem, he says, they were begging to give. 
It'd be like today if we forget the offering somehow, and Gene will never let us forget the offering, so we don't have to worry about that. But if we forgot the offering, everybody in here would say, Stop! we got to take up the offering. We want to give. Thanks, Dad. That's awesome. They were begging for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints because they understood giving from God's perspective. Verse 5. Now, this is awesome. And this, Paul says, not as we expected. He says, they exceeded our expectation. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's a powerful statement. And Paul says, and then by the will of God to us. In other words, Paul says, they did what we asked them in the area of giving, but the only reason they were able to give like they gave financially, watch this, is because they had first given their heart completely to Jesus Christ. Now that's a great picture of faithful giving from a group of believers called the churches of Macedonia. And we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I just want to give you a couple principles that jump out. These, these are not on the screen either. You can just meditate and think on these and align. Okay, our perspective and attitude on giving with this. Here, here's one. The Macedonian churches gave joyfully, generously, and sacrificially from a place of extreme poverty. It's just striking that Paul uses an example of a church that was dirt poor as an example of extreme generosity. They gave sacrificially. They gave joyfully. They gave as they could. And they even gave more than they ever thought they could. How was that possible? And I just read that sometimes and I'm so challenged in my perspective on giving. My perspective on giving left to myself always grows very small because I begin to focus on what I have rather than the God who gives me everything I have. Right? The word generous here means on the fingertips. It's a way of living to recognize everything I have is a gift from God. He places it in my hand. I will hold it loosely. And if God wants me to give it, share it, give it away, keep it, whatever it is, Lord, you take it. And also keep my hands wide open, God, that you can put a whole lot more there if you choose to. Picture of generosity is on the fingertips, ready to give. The Macedonian churches gave willingly. They gave worshipfully from the heart that was fully surrendered to Jesus. So back to our big truth we said earlier, God's people have always been characterized by faithful, generous, and sacrificial giving. Here's a picture of that from the churches of Macedonia. That's challenging for us. Now, so here's some things you learn that giving is, giving is sub, something that one of the reasons we get a little edgy about it sometimes and sometimes we kind of push back on it a little bit because it really gets into our business because giving is a whole lot less about our income or about our wallet. It is a great deal about the condition of our heart. That's what Paul says about the Corinthians here, or the Macedonians to the Corinthians. He says they were able to give generously. Their giving was an example and an illustration of a heart that had been fully given to Jesus Christ. See that? So you can just take a look at your giving and it tells us something about our heart. It tells me something about my heart and my surrender and my worship of King Jesus. So what I want to do from this is I want to flip over now to the next chapter. So Paul takes this example of the churches of Macedonia, and then he gives us some real practical application to our life. And we're going to walk through some of that. So 
Flip now over to the next chapter, chapter 9. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and then jump down to verse 7. We're going to kind of go verse by verse here and pull out some applications. So we saw a picture of giving. Now I want us to look at the practice of faithful giving. And Paul gets very specific here. 9.1 says, now it is superfluous, that means really good, <laughs> helpful for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. Paul says, I'm going to write to you now about what I saw in Macedonia. And then he gets down to verse 7 and begins to get very practical. So here's what he says. He says, okay, now for us, for them, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we're going to look at some more of these verses in just a minute, but I'm going to give you four or five big ideas that kind of flow out of these passages to shape and help and inform us as a church in the area of giving. Number one is this, big idea, very simple, Jesus followers give. <laughs> That's it, there you go. Bible's very clear. Paul's very clear. He says, each one, back at verse 7, look at verse 78. He says, each one must give. Now, this is not to be under compulsion. This is not because somebody has a club over your head. But a picture of a heart that is rightly in tune with Jesus, walking with Jesus, is going to demonstrate faithful giving. Paul says, each one must give. Now, I'll just be honest. That's something we want to continue to grow in as a church. Over the last few years, uh, it's been really neat to watch us as a church grow in generosity and grow in giving. And I'm not saying just measured by budget. I'm talking about how many of us are now taking this giving seriously and we're modeling as, a, as an overflow of worship in our life. But at the same time, there are many who, me included, we all still have a lot to learn in this area. A membership promise of ours as we talk about what does it mean to be a member of Tri-Cities. We share some of these promises as we go through this series. Here's the way we say it as a membership promise is this. Something we continue to desire is that we promise to sacrificially and cheerfully steward the resources God has given us through regular financial giving. Meaning for all of us, one of the things it means to be part of Tri-Cities Baptist Church is when we make this commitment to God, we make this commitment to one another, we're going to be the people of God that give faithfully and sacrificially and generously to God's work. We want to grow in that. We recently took a survey. We learned some things about where we are in this. We learned that about 65% of members are giving 10% or more on a regular basis. That's really good. But at the same time, we know that somewhere around 18%, give or take a little bit, are giving infrequently or not at all. And those are ones that say, I'm a member. We want to grow in that. Not because the church wants something from you, because we want something for you. I've heard, and I've heard many pastors, and I've read, but I'm reluctant to teach on giving. I just want you to know, we're not reluctant to teach on giving because I want the joy that there is for you in the area of giving and trusting God and your resources. I don't want you to miss it. Your elders don't want you to miss it. So, big idea number one is this, Jesus followers give. Number two, Jesus followers give from the heart as an act of worship. Paul says that here in verse 7. It, it, 
This is so clear. Is that Jesus followers give from the heart really is an act of worship. Back to verse 7 again. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves giving. Is that what it says? No. God doesn't love giving. God does not need my money. God does not need your money, right? God's not a pauper in heaven with his pockets hanging out going, man, I hope Tri-Cities gives, or I don't know what I'm going to do about this thing called the mission. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't say God loves giving. Says God loves a cheerful giver. God's much more concerned about your heart. Always. So what does it mean then to give from the heart as an act of worship? Well, this verse says it means that we give joyfully versus reluctantly. It says they gave, they give not under compulsion, but joyfully. In other words, is your attitude toward giving like this? Well, you know what? I guess it's something I'm supposed to do. I'm going to write the check. I'm going to go online, PayPal. And the whole time it's like, I don't want to hit that button. I don't want to write that check. I don't. Ah. Because here's what's going on in the back of your mind. What's this? Man, all the things I could do with that money. Can I remind you of something? God's not poor. God doesn't need your money. And he calls us to give, not because of what he gets out of it, because it trains and guides and guards our heart from greed. And it causes us to practice regularly keeping him as the center of our lives, because that's where our joy is, not on the other side of that next purchase with what we could have done with that money if we kept it. Is it wrong to have money? Not at all. Don't hear that. But it's a great danger to look to money and resources as your ultimate source of joy. It doesn't work that way. It says they modeled here, they gave eagerly, not under compulsion. Eagerly means as they had a big view of giving and they couldn't wait to entrust their resources back to God, knowing all that God was going to do through them and in them. Not under compulsion. Compulsion is under someone's thumb. Compulsion is because the pastor told you to do it. Compulsion is because you think somebody's going to look at your giving records. That's not the picture of generous, faithful giving here. It's one of joy and eagerness. We, we give from a place of trusting, watch this, trusting God to continue to provide versus a place of fear and doubt. Verse 8 continues on in 2 Corinthians 9. Their heart from giving is this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Did you hear that? Does that sound like scarcity? Does that sound like if I give, then I may be without? I don't know what's going to happen. The Bible says God is able. And I'll just tell you, one of the practical areas of your life that you can experience the faithfulness and the abundance of God is learning to honor Him first with your possessions and your money and watch Him do incredible things in your life. And I think there's a room of people who could give similar testimony to the faithfulness of God when we honor Him first in giving. It was an act of worship because of who God is. He's faithful. So it's much more about our heart than it is about our pocketbook. Now, I don't want to go into this in great detail, but really quick, 
my favorite story that Jesus tells on giving is the story in Mark chapter 12. And you remember the story. So they're in the temple. And, all, and Jesus goes into the temple and he's talking about leaders and he's talking about pride and he's talking about generosity and all these things. So the story goes like this. I won't take time to read it. But he says he goes into the temple and he, he goes in and he sits down, the Bible says, next to the treasury. Now the treasury was this place in the temple there in Jerusalem that people would come in and they would walk in and they would give their offering and they would kind of dump their bags in or they would give their coins or whatever and then they'd kind of walk on by. So, so picture this, Jesus just comes in, the Bible says he just sit down next to the treasury. <laughs> It'd be like when we give the offering today, Pastor Gene or one of your elders, they, the, the ushers are walking by and we're just walking along going, how, how y'all doing? Oh, you're stingy, man, come on, you give a little more than that, you know. Jesus just sits down by the treasury. And the Bible says all these people are coming in giving their offering. And the Bible says these really rich people come in and they're just dumping in these bags of money, bags of money. And the disciples are in the back and they're watching. And when these rich guys come in and dump in all this money, they think Jesus is going to go, man, look at all that money. Here's what Jesus does. Note to self. You will never impress Jesus by the amount of your giving. Ever. So you know the rest of the story. This little lady comes in, this widow, and the picture is of the most desperate in society at that point who had no means to even support herself. She comes in, and the Bible says just a graphic picture. She pulls out two coins from her purse or her pocket or whatever. Every woman has a purse, I guess, so she probably took her forever to find it in the bottom of her purse. But anyway, so she, she's digging it out. My wife's not in here, I don't think. So it says she took, watch this, two coins that amounted to one sixty-fourth of a cent. I mean, it was basically nothing. And the Bible says she dropped them in the treasury. And I, with my imagination, I just hear it go, clink, clink. And the disciples are in the back of the room. They're going, you know what Jesus does? And watch this. The Bible says this. Verse 43. Jesus called his disciples to himself. Can I, can I picture this for you? Guys, come here. You got to see this. And they're like, yeah, we saw it. This little woman gave two pennies. What's the big deal? Watch. Jesus says this poor widow has put more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, gave all that she had to live on. You will not impress Jesus ever by the amount, but you honor him by your trust. And he said, this little woman is trusting me. She's trusting that all provision comes from God. She doesn't know where her next meal's coming from. But she gives. And Jesus said, that is the point of faithful, worshipful giving. It's out of a heart of trusting God is your provider. God is your provider. So we see Jesus followers give. Jesus followers give as an act of worship from the heart. Thirdly, and this is where it gets really practical and I hope helpful for you. Uh, big idea number three is this, that Jesus followers give regularly and systematically. 
Say, where do you get that from? Well, verse 7, we're back to verse 7 again. It says this, that each one must give as he has decided in his heart. If you circle that word decided, that phrase literally means this. The word decided means a premeditated, predetermined plan of action. It's the only time in the New Testament this word is used. It doesn't mean, well, I'll just see what I have, I'll pull out some. It means that before God, as an act of worship, in response to who he is, I sit down with my family, I sit down before the Lord, and I say, all right, what is our plan of giving? Regularly and systematically. So out of that... You say, okay, well, what does that look like? What should our plan of giving be? Let me give you some wise principles from that. Three guides to wise and faithful giving. I'm going to give you three words really quick. This will help. Number one, when we talk about faithful, systematic, regular giving is this. Priority. Wisdom says that we give with priority. Where do you get that from? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says this. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the what? First of all your produce. We get the agricultural point that was written back in the Old Testament days. The point is everything God brings into our lives, we say, God, first, first, I will take a portion of that and give it back to you as an act of worship. That's a model throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, throughout for God's people. There is a point of worship that we say, God, I'm going to honor you first. Something I try to teach our kids. Jim and I are trying to teach our kids all the time. There is a great principle to life. If you will honor God with the first of your day and you will honor God with the first of your resources, oh, the blessings in your life. First. So it's Priority. Secondly, there's a plan. In other words, there's a specific plan of giving. I'm, I'm talking about amounts and when you give and what that looks like. Is it going to be online? Do PayPal? Is it going to be, what's, the, what's that look like? In other words, the Bible doesn't see any kind of haphazard, what's left, whatever's at the end. I'll just throw a token. You don't see that anywhere. 1 Corinthians 16 says this, On the first day of each week, you should each set aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there, Paul says, and then try to collect it all at once. He says there should be a plan to our giving. See that? So wherever you are in this journey of giving, ask yourself, okay, is it priority, as the Bible calls me to do? Do I have a plan? What does that look like? And then thirdly, it's another P word. I went to seminary for three years to put, you know, these things together. So number three is portion. Portion. Or if you're more of a mathematical mind, maybe percentage, whatever word you want to use. In other words, the model throughout Scripture is always that God's people give a portion back to God. You see that in Genesis chapter 14 all the way back, Abraham it says Abraham gained the spoils of war. It says he gave a tenth of all that was given back to the Lord. Israel, the nation of Israel, modeled a tenth, giving a tenth back. You see that throughout Scripture. You see that even drift over into the New Testament. Say, Pastor Mike, are you talking about the tithe? Pastor Mike, are you talking about that we are bound? Now listen, this is where it gets really specific. I don't want you to miss me or misquote me. Mr. Mike, are you saying that we are now bound by a 10% tithe? No, I'm saying we are free to have the tithe as a good guide and a good starting point. But then as those who have been lavished with the grace of God, we leave the tithe way behind. Yeah. 
The tithe is not a yoke. If you approach it and say, well, i got to give my tithe, my ten-, you don't get it. You don't get the point. I believe God has given us this tithe, which means a 10% portion, as a good starting point, as a guide for us. You don't know, what's my plan need to look like? Well, God's given us a pattern. Start with this 10% and trust him. But listen, for all of us, I've been a Christian for a long, long time. The tithe is not the goal. It's not the goal. The tithe is a guide. Say, Lord, this is where I'm going to start. Randy Alcorn says this. Great uh, pastor, understands giving. He says, tithing is not the ceiling of giving, but the floor of giving. It is for many people the single most fundamental step in transforming attitudes and actions concerning money and possessions. So for some of us, wherever you are in this giving journey, if you don't know where to start, you know to guide, I believe the Bible's given us a good place to start in trust and faithfulness. Lord, I'm going to begin there with the 10% tithe. But Lord, I'm not bound to that. It's not a yoke. And as I continue to walk with you, Lord, I want to be able to give much more beyond that we want to grow in that does it make sense so when you look at your practice of giving is it priority first do you have a plan before the Lord and then are you giving a portion back to God now what does that look like here in our local church we're going to get really practical for us it looks really two ways here at Tri-Cities. One is we give regularly. My family gives. The, uh, at least for us, I'll be honest, it's a past to 10%. God's allowed us to be able to do that. We start with what we call our regular designated giving through our budgeted giving here at Tri-Cities. It's the first place we start. It's the first place we encourage you to start. All the ministries and everything that happens at Tri-Cities is possible through the faithful giving of God's people. That's the way it works. It's the way God's always set it up. So that's where we start, our regular budgeted undesignated giving into the general fund of Tri-City. But then also we have a way to go above and beyond that, and it's called Give to Go. And You hear us talk about that all the time. Go ahead and put that slide up about Give to Go. If, uh, give to Go is an opportunity for us to say, okay, uh, I can go above and beyond regular tithes and offerings, and I can together... We as a church can faithfully and sacrificially give. And here's what's cool about this opportunity. We together can do some incredible things around the world through give to go give to go is a fund that's designated every dime goes out of Tri-Cities. It goes to reach the unreached. We have a team right now in Indonesia that has tried to reach unreached people groups in Indonesia. How is that possible? In large part through give to go Plant churches, send disciples, train leaders, serve the vulnerable. In other words, give to go is an over and above opportunity for you and your family to say, man, I've got some extra. Look how the Lord's blessed. How can I give to something that matters? Man, I can be a part of planting churches. I can be a part of reaching the unreached. I can be a part of serving the vulnerable. We all can do that together as a church family through Give to Go. Now with that is the final big idea, and we'll, we'll wrap and we'll close, is this. You, you see in this passage here in 2 Corinthians 9, big idea number four is this. Jesus' followers give from a heart of worship, all that that we said earlier, Jesus' followers give, advancing the gospel and impacting eternity. In other words, I want you to have a kingdom view that when you get to give through a local church, you are advancing the gospel and impacting eternity. Look at verse 13. So Paul concludes and he says this, As a result of your ministry, this ministry of giving, he says, They, those who receive, will give glory to God. 
That's pretty exciting that through our giving, others will give glory to God as they're served and ministered and the gospel's taken to them. He goes on, he says, for your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ or the gospel of Christ. The gospel is what motivates our giving. I said it earlier, remember? Jesus gives most, amen? That he's the one who had it all He chose to take on a place of poverty and become a man and walk among us. He took our sins upon himself that we through his brokenness and poverty might become rich. And we give ultimately because of the gospel and what Christ has done in our hearts. And Paul says when you give this way, it is a demonstration that you get and you understand and you are living out the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, he says, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace of God in you. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So as the team comes on up, I just want want some of these things begin to sink down in your heart. And I want you to be challenged today in this area of giving. The big idea, as we said at the beginning, is this. God's people have always been characterized by faithful, generous, sacrificial giving. We give from the heart. We give as an act of worship. We give with a plan regularly and systematically. And watch this. When we give, God is glorified. The gospel advances. Listen, you impact eternity through your giving. When you give through this local church, you realize you're a part of planting brand new churches all over America and the world. Places like Washington, D.C. and Portland, Oregon and Denver, Colorado. You may never go there. You may not be part of that church planting team. But through your giving, you are a part of that. You're part of training pastors in places like Nigeria and South Africa and equipping church leaders. You're part of reaching those around the world who are unreached, those who have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ as we send out teams and we send out missionaries. Just a few weeks, a family from this church, the Schultz family, is going to be sent out from here to a place where there's very limited access to the gospel. You're a part of that through your giving. Right now as a church, we have a pipeline of three or four or five different couples and individuals who are ready to be sent out from our church. And they're they're about to be sent to some tough places in the world where you may never go. You get to be a part of that through your giving. A.W. Tozer said, whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Everything is safe, which we commit to Christ, and nothing is really safe, which we do not so commit to Christ. We get to change eternity, impact eternity, as we give as an act of worship, an act of trust, an act of faithfulness to our God. Would you bow your head for just a minute? I just want to ask you to respond there in your hearts before the Lord, whatever that may look like. Maybe some decisions need to be made or... Some repentance needs to take place or whatever the case is for you this morning. I just ask you, what what does your patterns of giving right now say about your heart? What does your attitude toward giving say about your view of God? Are you trusting? Are you worshiping? Are you doubting and fearing? 
Mother Jesus, you're the Sea of Galilee and all that comes in, you, you want to give and it flows out. Are you like the Dead Sea and everything that comes in, you just hold tightly. Proverbs says it results only in want. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your hearts. And before Him, you make some decisions right now. Lord, what does this mean for me and my family? Not because Pastor Mike said it. Because the Bible is very clear. The people of God give generously, faithfully, sacrificially. Lord, we love you. And Father, right now as we kind of ponder these things and these things run through our mind, Lord, that we've heard from your word, God, help us not to deceive ourselves in any way. Lord, not help, help us not to rest in maybe how we've lived up to this point. But Lord, take our lives and apply the word of God to every area of our lives. God, we want to glorify you. As an overflow of who you are and what you've done in our lives, let us be people of great generosity for the glory of God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand and let's continue to just respond in our hearts before the Lord as our team leads us in song.